Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Derek Galanis. He was an associate of the Gambino crime family. This is my second one-on-one -on -one interview with Derek. Today we talk about his father. His father had connections with Nikki Scarfo and Angelo Bruno. Please hit subscribe if you want to get more interviews like this. And without further ado, let's get into Derek's story. Welcome back, Derek. How you been doing, man? Good, man. Everything's uh, going great. I, you know, I feel feel much safer living the life of the way I'm living it now. Kind of talk about your father's connection with, uh, you know, the Philly mob and who he was associated with, who he got along with, who he disliked, you know, things like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, you know how back east is. I mean, I, I assume that's where you guys are based out of. I um, mean, every city is not that far away. You know, Philly's what, a hop and a jump from New York, you know, from Penn Station. Um, and, you know, my, my father, you know, financial scams don't have boundaries. You don't even have world boundaries. Right. So he's all over the place. Um, and, you know, he's got to deal with whoever was in charge in whatever area he's in. Now, you know, in the 80s and the 70s, that was very important stuff. Now, you know, someone tells you, hey, I'm in charge of this area. You can probably smile and go to the cops and, you know get them off your back you know back then it wasn't like that you know it wasn't that easy it was literally life or death and and that was you know the game the era my my father was from yeah and you know like like you said you know they really had to report to someone they couldn't you know just go and try to start doing a business because if they did i mean they could do it but i mean i'm sure eventually someone's going to come knocking and say hey we want a piece you know what i mean and offer protection and other things like that so is that kind of how who approached your father with that, that you can recall? And, you know, what, what did, what was that like? Who was it? And what was the situation? Well, you know, originally you're talking about board boardwalk marketplace, which was my father's really big deal. Um, it was in Atlantic city. And, you know, in that era, the Philadelphia mob controlled Atlantic city. You know, people who aren't from East Co the East coast may not realize how close, you know, Philly is to AC and, you know, why that power structure came about. But that's the way it is geographically. Um, and, you know, look, no, you never the boss never sends himself, right? Because you're walking into a potential trap there. They send underlings to let you know, hey, we'd like to talk to you. We'd like to talk to you. Um, and the boss in Philly in that time was a man in the name of Angelo Bruno. You know, Angelo's gotten a little bit of play recently in, in the movie The Irishman. Um, and they play him in the Irishman. Interestingly, they play him when he's talking to Frank Sheehan, who was sort of the hitman for Russell Buffalino. Um, and you look, uh, Angelo Bruno is a master of human behavior. He's going to talk to Frank Sheehan, a hitman, an Irish hitman for the mob, much differently than he's going to talk to my father. And that was the absolute magic of Angelo Bruno. He knew exactly how to play everybody um and he knew how to play my father you know it was you know hey johnny you know we know you're involved this is our area we'd like a piece you know we have respect for you do you have respect for us and you know, my father eats that type of stuff up you know a, a businessman like that it makes him feel glamorous and connected and you know before you know i think bruno knew how much money was going to come in you know he was taking you know envelopes my, i say envelopes i do so facetiously he was taking down like a million dollars a year out of my father's uh, boardwalk marketplace scam which you know for mob guys street mob guys that's a lot of money i mean the the money difference between finance and mob stuff on the street is significantly different. Yeah, so that was what well, your father's involvement was definitely more on the 
you know, hierarchy, you know, it wasn't like going and robbing places and stuff like that, you know, or, you know, you know, just, you know, hijacking and extortion and stuff like that. It was just, you know, I mean, you'd probably be able to explain it better, you know, like what was it that was so illegal about it and how did he make so much money off of it? Sure. So I, I think what people really don't understand in this country and they do not is that the finance business um, is fraud. You know, a, a lot of the, the business model of Wall Street, and now I'm copying Bernie Sanders here, and anyone who hates Bernie Sanders, don't be offended. It's simply the fact that he said something that's true. He said, the business model of Wall Street for far too long has been fraud. And my father was the king of that. You know, he caught his first Wall Street fraud case in the 60s, late 60s, when, you know, people weren't doing that kind of stuff because, you know, the type of people who would do that generally weren't involved in that level of business. Um, and by the way, keep in mind, there's been a metamorphosis over the years to the point now where the Cherry Hill Gambinos are involved exclusively in fraud, the way my father taught them and helped them learn how those businesses are run. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of the upper layers of the mafia have gone that way. Now, there's some families that never get more sophisticated, right? They know what they know. You saw there was a Colombo bus recently, and some of their hierarchy went to jail, and it was over, you know, the same old story stuff, you know, threatening people, and I want money, and I want this. Well, in this day and age, you can't get away with that stuff anymore. You know, law enforcement has too many tools with RICO and conspiracy where they'll knock you down. You know, my father's scams, and this is the real miracle if you think about it. My father had been in jail since the 1960s, like I said. When we got busted this time in, what, what was it, 2015, he got the same sentence that I got. So I got six years and he got six years. If you think about it, it's staggering. You know, if my father had had a drug record, right, his sentence would have been life in prison. If my father had uh, continuing racketeering charges, and by the way, he did have one RICO charge. Um, he would have gotten life in prison. But because of the area he centered himself on, um, he's able to do these crimes, get vast amount of money. And, and let's talk about why. Even in the drug business, right, I've got to get the cocaine and I've got to sell the cocaine. And there's a product cost to that no matter what. In a financial scam, if you really think about it, Okay, my father wants to raise one hundred million dollars. Well, he actually raised four hundred. But for Boardwalk Marketplace, that money goes in his pocket. Maybe he pays a few hoteliers and whatnot to, to make like they're actually doing something like they're in development, pays, pays a few construction companies. But that's all just part of the facade. The rest of that money goes straight in his pocket. So the margin and that's the most important thing in any business. Right. The margin is better than Pablo Escobar's margin. You know, it's not a kilo cocaine, cocaine is 2,000, you sell it for 80 here. It is 100% yours. You know, and that's why I think most of the mob, you know, the Gambinos certainly in general, we can talk more about that, have gotten into this business. It's simply a lot more money for a lot less time in prison. And, and why is that? It's because the politicians... And the, the elite in this country are in the same business. Hunter Biden was in business with my father and brother and their final scam. The way prosecutors deal with that, they simply didn't charge him. I mean, his friend finally got a year and a day in prison. But yeah, this is the honestly, this is the modern mafia. This is just what it is. 
big finance. And listen, everybody's infiltrating it. If they can figure it out, they're there. And, you know, the sad part for me is, and I, I do, I go through pains in my book to describe this. My dad's big scam, which was the money manager scam, the same scam we did with Hunter Biden, is not that difficult. And if you, if you don't mind, I'll explain it now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So there's a money manager worth $100 million. That manager makes about a million dollars a month, assuming he gets 1% of assets to manage that money. Okay. If he wants to sell it, he's got to sell it for about 2 million. Now, why, why is that? Because clients leave, you know, it's a relationship business. The market can turn against you. Those assets can go down. So he sells his business for 2 million. It's making one a year. Um, he sells it to a guy like John Galanis. John Galanis puts up $2 million to buy $100 million of assets under management that he will now divert into whatever scam deal he wants to divert it into. That is exactly what we were doing with Hunter Biden. With the Bidens, it was a little bit bigger. Um, they were trying to buy multiple uh, funds like that and combine it into something called Burnham Financial, which would have a billion dollars of assets under management. But if you really think about it, even if you buy a small fund, you're way money ahead. Buy a $20 million fund, you know, for however much that would be, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. You've got $20 million you're playing with, putting it wherever you want. You're buying a casino or, or however you want to rob it. So, you know, it is the place to be now. And by the way, there's always an excuse. In, in drugs and mob stuff, there's no excuse. So we know what you're doing. You're busting. In finance, you go, oh, no, you don't understand. I was going to put this in this casino, and it was going to net us 20% a year. And, and the number of it is they give you a lot less time in prison for those kind of crimes. Yeah, and the thing is, too, they're usually worth a lot more money, too. But, you know, it's really surprising. But I guess it's not – I mean, it's hurting people. It is, but it's not like you're, ex you know, extorting and doing physical violence. So I guess they – that, that's kind of why they might be lighter and because like you said they have the money to buy you know politicians and different stuff like that so you know it's definitely a different ball game you know when it comes to stuff like that you know so when your dad was doing all this he was in the area and he was kicking the money up to angelo bruno is that correct yeah i mean so so the, so boardwalk marketplace uh was a little bit different um that was so it was the 80s and, you know, look, we had stagflation, right, um, which is stagnation and inflation at the same time. It was kind of a phenomenon we'd never heard of before. And Reagan came up with an idea to combat it. Excuse me. And his idea to combat it was we'll make tax shelters where investors can put their money in. And if they lose their money for whatever reason, they get four times that in tax savings. Now, sounds feasible completely right the guy that means you're trying to get money in the market so businesses get started you're trying to get rich people to take risks totally legitimate the problem is guys like my father and nowadays there's tons of them they say oh really you're going to give us a, a four to one tax shelter they raise a hundred million dollars and they lose that client's money which they were going to do anyway and then they tell the clients go take your tax write off you got four times you're rich anyway so that that's what Boardwalk Marketplace was. Um, and I think one of the reasons they recoded my dad on that case, you know, he was paying Angelo uh, through that case until he had to start paying Nikki. And we could talk about that, too. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that got mad at him because their innovation to save the world from stagflation was uh, abused. But you listen, anything you give human beings, they're going to abuse. That's just the way we are, unfortunately. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, your dad, he was kicking up to Angelo and then he ended up going to Nikki Scarfo, you said? Yeah, so let's talk about because it's interesting in itself because this is exactly like my father. Let's talk about, you know, what happened to Angelo Bruno. We know he's beloved, right? He's a, one of the most beloved mob bosses ever. A lot of what, because what we talked about, he was so clever. You know, he knew how to talk to people like my dad. He knew how to talk to people from the street. You know, you saw that a little bit in The Irishman. And, you know, if there's lower guys than Frank Sheehan, I'm sure he knew how to talk to them too. Um, and, uh, you know, so... His consigliere, I believe it was, Capa Negra, got greedy, like people do in that business. And he, he starts bad-mouthing Bruno. And he goes to the Genovese crime family, and he starts, hey, hey, what do you think if, if I kill this guy? And the Genovese kind of, they gave him tacit approval to do that. They said, yeah, yeah, well, sounds good. But, you know, only them and Capa Negra knew that. Capa Negra goes back to Philadelphia kills the most beloved mob boss of all time. And then the Genovese disavow any knowledge that like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. And the rest of the five families with the Genovese kill Caponegra. Um, and what was really going on there? Because this is classic my father. Um, the Genovese crime family wanted the rackets that the Philadelphia mob had in Atlantic City. So it was directly about money like everything is in that life so they figure we'll use this moron that thinks he's with us and by the way i got used the same way i'm not going to deny it that's what my father did to me and that's what very much that life is people think yeah i'm with these guys i've got this they're they're on my side and they're, they're using you the entire time i got used in many of those deals i just described poor caponegra you know, he landed up in a trunk you know with a i think they put a rat in his mouth or something like that um, but yeah, and that's when Scarfo took over Philly. Um, and he talked to my dad the way Nikki Scarfo knows how to talk to people. He told him, Johnny, guess what? You know, your vig just went up. And, you know, my father, you know, you don't talk to a guy like my father that way. There's many guys like my father. They ran to the cops. But my father also learned a valuable lesson. What happened? The cops said, that's nice. You're on your own. Because believe me the police have no problem letting criminals duke it out they smile and they laugh as you know okay you're scared of nikki well sorry about that good luck to you unless you want to come in and cooperate with us it's a real ugly gay man and it's not ugly just criminal to criminal it's ugly criminal to cop and all the way around <laughs> so then did nikki eventually leave him alone or what whatever happened with that situation no we moved we went from we went from uh, from New York. We moved out to California. I mean, my dad was you know scared scared all high heaven about it, and and I get it. You know, Nikki was not someone you play with, you know. Um, and it just what he thought he could do was and listen on the street. That's why the street's so ugly. So many guys that are drug dealers will steal your last quarter, and they will tell on you too. And that's who my dad was, obviously, on a much more sophisticated level. But my dad had no problem ordering someone to be hit and then at the same time telling on the person who, who killed the guy for him. You know, that's <laughs> that's that life, you know? Yeah. 
So, okay, so kind of talk about, you know, who Nikki was, you know, because you said your father had some, you know, fear from him, you know, I mean, what was he known for? Yeah, Nikki Scarfo is known as one of the bloodiest bosses ever. And, you know, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's funny or ironic, but, you know, he's a little guy. And, by the way, Sal, Sal Gambino, Rosario Gambino was a little guy, too. You know, and I don't know, you know, we can all use our imaginations. Is that is that something to do with you know, stature, trying to prove ourselves. I, I don't know, but uh, they were definitely ruthless, absolute killers. Um, you know, I have his, uh, one of his nephews, excuse me, on uh, my TikTok. And he comes in often and he says, you know, my, my, my uncle wasn't that bad. And I always give him respect because look, he's part of that family and I, and I, I respect what his father did and whatnot. But listen, Nikki Scarfo is known as one of the bloodiest mob bosses of all time. So I don't, I don't know what he means. Now, listen, that hasn't been said. And my father taught me this, and he's right. The government builds legends around people. You know, they make people into super criminals. It's for their own interest, right? And because they need bad guys to justify their existence, right? So if they can build someone up, they do that. Um, and you know, we should talk about chapo on that note right and yeah, yeah. The, my my business partners were were in business with chapo i mean i didn't know till we got busted but look they were meeting with chapo in the mountains of mexico after his first escape from altiplano prison um and they were discussing ecstasy which is what we were doing you know i was a salesman for that that organization um and ultimately a deal never got made but here's the question i have so if both my partners were down there meeting and also the snitch on our case met with Chapo in the mountains of Mexico, it would give you the feeling that the DEA knew exactly where El Chapo was after he escaped from Alto Plano, which starts bringing up other questions. You know, look, someone's got to be in charge of the drugs, right? Somebody's got to be in charge of organized crime somebody's got to be running the streets. So there is a tacit agreement, at least, between all these people, the, the government authorities and the criminals that allows this stuff to go on. Um, you know, technology is such today where they know everything. They know where the cocaine is coming from in Colombia. They know who the dealers are. So this image of this bad guy on a truck, no, it's not like that. I mean, listen, our so our snitch was a Swedish chemist named Tomas Lilius. He was in Mexico with Chapo. He was working as a DEA informant at the time. So they wanted Chapo so badly, they could have gotten him a decade earlier than they got him. So, yeah, I mean, listen, the corruption goes all the way through. And believe me, it's not just Latin American countries. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure every country has its own, you know what I mean? But oh, yeah. no, that so they want, like you said, money is the power. You know, if you can, if you can uh, pay someone off, you know, then shit, you need to get away with it. And I know Chapo. I mean, from all the public records and everything, they said he had a lot of fucking money. You know, <laughs> right? So, so, but then the question comes: so, so, who was he paying in the DEA? If if a DEA informant was there with him, how did that really truly happen? And we all know, of course, that. Kate Del, Del Castillo went down there with Sean Penn and met with him too. So then, then you start wondering, okay, really? We got satellites, we got everything else. And, you know, we're, we're picturing this guy like, I don't know, with a bandolero and a, a sombrero runner. Come on. It's ridiculous. They know where he is. <laughs> okay. So, you know, 
were, did you have any other uh, connections where you were involved or your family had any ties with any other mob figures? Yeah. So what really happened, and I think that this is what my book's really about is how, you know, the mob went from the street and they went from the drugs and they went from the extortion and they got into my father's business. You know, um, my father met Rosario Gambino, Sal Gambino in Terminal Island when they're both prisoners together. Uh, they both had sons of equal age, you know, two sons. My father had me and Jason and, and uh, Rosario had Tony and Tommy. And we grew up together. You know, we grew up formulating ideas. We grew up formulating scams for what would become the new form of organized crime. Um, and by the way, one of those businesses that I brought to my father, I was really excited about. And this is just kind of tongue in cheek. I was a kickboxer at the time, professional kickboxer. And the UFC uh, was sort of a failing business, but people liked it. And I brought it to uh, Rosario. We had a sit down at uh, Terminal Island. Rosario was there. Tommy was there. I was there, my father. And I brought it up. And, you know, my father was trying to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is ever going to make it, whatnot. And then he was also trying to pair me with Tommy. In that business. Now, if you know anything about the fight business, it has so many problems already that if you run towards any type of mafia affiliation, you'll destroy the business. And, you know, I always tell people, it's funny. They go, Derek, you missed your big chance at the UFC. Do you, how do you feel about that? I tell them, and don't worry about it. it. It never would have made it anyway because my father was pushing it towards the Gambinos. You know, the first thing Dana White did and his buddies is – they uh, moved the base to Nevada where they were, and they hired away Mark Ratner from the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And that's how they made that business legitimate. You know, they hired away the, the, essentially the guy who was the head of the boxing in the state where boxing was the biggest. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. That was one of many businesses, you know, we talked about getting into and ultimately didn't go anywhere. But, yeah, you know, um, we each of us, the kids – went our own direction. Eventually my father got out of jail. Um, I went off to Kosovo and all during this time, by the way, I was selling ecstasy for that lab. Um, and you know, Tommy knew everybody knew I had discussions with Tommy about opening up distribution back East. Um, and we got busted and, uh, they leaned heavily on me cause they wanted Tommy. They wanted in to those, the cherry old Gambinos who, and we can talk about this in a minute, but People say Cherry Oak Gambinos, and they very much try to bifurcate it from the Gambino crime family. But if you really look at it on its surface, they essentially took over the Gambino crime family. Now, listen, I know Frank Kelly is now dead, um, but Frank Kelly married into the Inzerillos. He's related by marriage to John Gambino, who was Rosario's older brother and captain in the Gambino crime family. So if you look at both coasts, Tommy was underboss under Pete Milano until he died. And then Tommy took over the L.A. crime family. Frank Cali was effectively the acting boss of the Gambinos in New York. For a moment, the Cherry Hill Gambinos controlled the whole world. And believe me, they're now into the type of crime I describe in my book. That's what they're doing. Now, since Frank died, I don't know what's happened. You know, maybe some of the American mafiosos have bumped, bumped in there, and I don't know. I don't have a read on the street. No one's talking to me after my book. But, yeah, it's interesting to, to note 
And and like you you've done, many people take pains to separate the Cherry Hill Gambinos from uh, the Gambino crime family. But look, they were a crew, and and uh, you know John Gotti sanctioned John as a capo in that family with Rosario and and Joe as his lieutenant. So yeah. Anyway. So how many members were a part of this crew, or do you even know? No, I mean, listen, so one thing to keep in mind, I mean, obviously I was a member of the Galanis crime family. The Cherry Cherry O'Gambinos and what they did back in that day, they had an arm stretching all the way to Sicily. I mean, there were Sicilian mafiosos that went down on that pizza connection case, the heroin. But the miracle, I say miracle, the amazing thing about organized crime these days, people say that to me on my videos. They'll say, you know, a crime family, you got four guys. And I say, you guys don't get it. Said a crime family with soldiers these days, every soldier is a snitch. Every single one of them. You want soldiers? All you got to do is find somebody who wants to get rich. And by the way, who wants to get rich? Everybody, right? So all you've got to do is pitch them on your scam to get rich. You have a soldier in your crew with you. And I would give to you that everybody like these days are way tighter, way closer, because they realize every associate, every affiliate they have is a potential snitch in court. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the new modern form of organized crime. Listen, I'm not, look, the Gambino's family in New York obviously still has soldiers. Um, those guys are not doing big things. You know, that's they've been left behind, sort of. So what about, you know, when you're in L.A., you know, and they were you had the you were associated with these crime families. Was there any time that there was any wars or anything like that going on, even if it was with the Gambinos or I mean, who, what was going on? Was there any beefs or anything like that? Now you got to remember. So so what is what is the, the main interest in a crime family? It's money, right? That's the end, the end of the day. So if you show a man, right, how to fish, right, he can fish for life. Tommy Gambino learned financial scams at the foot of my father in Terminal Island Prison. And by the way, we weren't the only ones. You know, I can only talk from my, my side, but Michael Francis was in Terminal Island with Rosario Gambino, too. Um, he was his celly for a number of years. I guarantee you Tommy learned a lot from Michael. Um, there were other guys that I knew in there, both Jewish inmates, Italian inmates, all different types that Tommy learned from, excuse me. And, uh, so there's no need for beefs. There's no, in the financial world, there are no beefs. I'm not saying there's not murders. There, there are occasionally, um, you'll catch guys on pumping dumps that, you know, sell out stock they're not supposed to, and they'll, they'll wind up dead in the Bahamas and whatnot. And that's an old mob game. Um, but truthfully, there's nothing to beef over. All you're after is money. But I can tell you this, because I saw it firsthand. Believe me, Tommy Gambino lets you know he's Tommy Gambino if the deal's getting away from him. You know, and that's intended to scare people, right? It's intended to bring that terror. Because at the end of the day, listen... Nobody really wants to kill anybody else in the game if the, if the end result is money. If you really just want power, okay, different game. But honestly, those guys are in jail, most of them. They don't make it these days anymore. The, the laws are too strict. So most of the stuff these days 
is rackets. The last Gambino case, I think they were ripping off their own construction company. 2021, I had just gotten out. And I put it out on the internet. I said, this is what I've been talking about for a long time. You guys don't understand. Organized crime has moved on from where it was. I was in with a Genovese guy, Patsy Perillo, um, when I was in uh, New York this time. Patsy had a restaurant. Most of those Genovese guys have a restaurant. Most of them have legitimate covers while they work other rackets. What are their primary rackets now? What I've noticed? Gambling. Why? Because gambling, you're not going to get a pinch like you are for drugs. You know, you can run a gambling house. You can potentially make a lot of money, but you're not going to be in jail for the rest of your life over it. Yeah, and I remember you saying, too, before we started the interview, they, there was – you were in the in prison. You were in lockup with another Philly Philly person, right? Another boss, or what was it? Yeah. So <laughs> Joey Merlino the, uh, got himself tied up in that case with Patsy Perillo. Um, it was really Patsy's case. The rat came from Patsy's family and whatnot. But my understanding is Joey was in Florida at the time. And the rat went down and had a few meetings with him. And here's the thing. If, if you know anything about the feds, all you have to do is sit with the guy. You don't have to have any scam going. I think in the end, Joey pled out to almost like time served because they couldn't really get him on anything substantial. But that's very common for the feds. What they'll do is they'll throw out a huge RICO indictment. There's some things that happen, like the, my roommate, who was a Lucchese guy named Mark Mayuzo, had burned down a car or burned a car in front of a rival casino in that case. So there was stuff going on, but then they RICO the case and they drag everybody into it. And poor Joey Merlino, who was the boss of Philly after Nikki Scarfo, um, well, after Stan Fatu and a couple of people, uh, got caught up in that. Yeah, and look, Merlino is just like Perillo. He's got a restaurant in Florida now. He has gone semi-legitimate. All of the big guys know that the money is in these financial scams now. So that's where they're all heading. They're all going away from the street stuff because street stuff does not last. Listen, drugs, you can make a lot of money. But here's the other problem with drugs. Just being quite frank, frankly, everybody's a rat and you don't need anybody. You, as long as you get a connection, you don't need to w worry about your boss or anything else. So, so consequently... The mafia has never loved drugs for two reasons. They've never loved it because uh, it, it gets turns people into rats and it gets people a million years in prison. And also, people are loath to kick up because they figure, well, what did you really do for me? You know, I'm I got my connect. I hooked this up. It's you know, it's one of those one of those games. But that's the last street thing. That guy, Mark Mayuso, I mentioned, he had a coke route. That was his job as an associate of Lucchese crime family. He would run around and deliver, you know, uh, I don't know, quarter bags of cocaine everywhere. Damn. <laughs> okay. Well, so if, do you want to promote your books and, you know, tell people where they can find them? Yeah. So listen, guys, uh, Greed and Fear of the Glonis Crime Family is about my life and my crime family. Cherry Gambinos figure prominently. They're in virtually every chapter. But if you want to know what the new form of organized crime is and where all these mafiosos went, that's what this book is. There's not another book on the market doing this. Most of the other guys who write books uh, weren't at that level. And they certainly weren't there for the creation 
of this new form of organized crime. So they don't have any idea about it. You know, I, I've got total respect for each of them, um, but they just really don't know. I mean, I'll tell you this too. Michael Francis, don't get me wrong. Look, he was an underground financier. He was doing the new form before it ever existed. But that was just because Michael was very charming. Like some guy brought him that scam. That wasn't his invention. Some guy called him up, said, hey, Michael, I'm doing this. You want to be my roof, essentially be my, my support in this. And Michael said, sure. It wasn't Michael's idea to pull that gasoline scam where they essentially didn't, didn't pay taxes. Um, so a lot of those guys, it's out of their, their, their book. They don't know it. And the ones who do know it are sitting there playing legitimate like Tommy Gambino. So if you guys want to know where the mob went from casino to today, that's what my book's about. Frank Kelly's in the afterward. You guys will like it. Yep. And uh, I'll be sure to put a link in the description, you know, of where you can find Derek's TikTok, his Instagram, and more. Uh, most importantly, his book, you know. So if you like what he's been saying, um, you, you should definitely go check out his book. So I thank you for coming on, Derek. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, brother. Well, what'd you think? Derek has a really interesting story. His father had a lot of connections with the Philadelphia crime family, especially their bosses, Nikki Scarfo and Angelo Bruno. Please share this video with someone that you think will enjoy it. Please subscribe to my channel if you want to get more like it. Also, if you want to support me and my clothing brand, I got t-shirts, hoodies, beanies, sweats, and all kinds of stuff on my website. I'll put a link in the video description as well. At the end of this video, I'll put a playlist where you can watch all my other Mafia interviews. Derek's definitely going to be part of the documentary that I've been working on. And to give you a better understanding about my documentary about the American Mafia, please check out this trailer. Thank you again for watching. This life is very twisted. You never know when it's your time to go. One day you're putting in work with someone, and the next day they're taking you out. In our days, it was very quiet, you know? Nobody ever talked about this, you know? Nobody glamorized it. It was all like hush-hush. Not a glamorous life. And again, it's not what you see in Goodfellas. It's not what you see in Casino. Some days you were dead broke. Some days you had two grand in your pocket. It wasn't every day. You know, you don't know anything else. You don't know what it is to go wake up six o'clock and go to work. Work? What the fuck is that? I wasn't going to work. Even bosses get murdered in this life. There was younger guys underneath him and he wasn't doing the right thing, I guess. He was coming out of the card game and unfortunately, uh, a lone gunman came up and shot him five times. People knew me to tell you, I like to use a bat a lot. If I had to shoot you, I'd shoot you too. I've done that. This life requires many mixed personalities. You have to wear many hats in this life to try and survive. You become four or five different people all at once. And you got to go home and be a dad and a husband. You got to go to work and do your job. You got to be out in the street and be a gangster. The Bonanno family is called the Bonanno family because of my grandfather, Joe Bonanno. That life there is gone. Uh, today you have to be legitimate yeah, today. But you're gonna be an idiot to want right. to be a hooligan today. Jail time's now like 100 years for doing right. nothing. Yeah, you'll be dead in prison for life or in the witness protection program. I don't know anybody. Now, when the mafia turned their back on me, I know everybody. There was the big flip of the Gambino underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano. Here he is signing autographs in a restaurant on Mulberry Street. It was supposed to be a secret organization. He was a very, very, very violent guy. No question about it. Albert Anastasia, he was a Brooklyn guy. He was probably the biggest killer in the history of the mob. Michael Francis, his father, Sonny, uh, was a really tough guy. But he really raised his son right. Son, if you want to see a gangster, that's Sonny Francis. And John Cena, you don't compliment anybody.
This is a documentary series about the American Mafia. It includes 11 different crime families. Each episode is about a different one. The crime families include the Gambino, Genovese, Bonanno, Colombo, Lucchese, the Gallo Crew, Chicago Outfit, the Philadelphia Mafia, the Patriarca, the Traficante Crime Family, and the Jewish Mafia. Please subscribe to my channel to watch each episode as they come out.